Good morning. I see that you all, I'm learning my church constantly. I'm knowing you all better. What I know in the fall is that you love pumpkin flavored donuts. What I don't know at this point is who is leaving the half donuts in the box. I don't know who that is, but as pastor, I will commit to you that I will find out who's doing that. And I will take the, uh, the bad leaven out. When I first became a Christian, after God saved me, I was on the new path. I was on the straight and narrow. I had a new life and a new heart. My eyes were fixed on Jesus, and I was a new creation. But there were things in my life that were trying to pull me back, trying to get me to turn around and look who I was and to look at the things that I had done. My flesh, even though my heart was changed, I still had my old desires left, a lot of them. The Spirit was rooting them out. I was crucifying, and still today I'm doing that, but I still had some of my old lusts. The world was pulling me back. I was different, but my friends weren't, and my surroundings weren't, and many of my habits weren't, and Satan Satan didn't really care. I don't think Satan cared too much about me before I was saved, but he really cared about me now. And he didn't like what I liked. And he was hell-bent, one could say, upon um, distorting my view of the world and and accusing me of the things that I had done and blinding me to the glory of Jesus Christ. So my flesh, the world, Satan... All of those things were trying to get me to take my eyes off Jesus and to turn back and look more inward into myself or backward to the things that I had done to accuse me or to entice me. And the same thing happens today. Let's not talk in past tense. He does the very same thing, especially after I sin, after I've had an argument with somebody or a disagreement. The Spirit turns me to the cross where I'm forgiven, where I have no right to hold anything against anyone, where my sins and my debts were paid, and my flesh tells me that I need to look back and remember what that person did. The world tells me that it's okay to hold grudges every once in a while because that's just common sense, and Satan tells me I need to hold on to that offense just in case it happens again so I can pull it back and rub it in their face later. The Christian life is about walking forward with our eyes fixed on the cross to the risen, the crucified and risen Jesus where our sins are wiped clean, but our flesh, the world, and Satan tries to drive us back to our old sinful ways to forget who we are and to forget what Jesus has done. Here's how I would describe the gospel this morning. As sinners, we're subject to the curse of sin. But in Christ, God liberates us from the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, and the hopelessness of sin. We have a future and a living hope. This morning, we're going to read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Raise your hand if you've ever read this book before, read this story before. A horrible, dark, blinded, sin-ridden, infested place There's no reason for anyone to stay in it. God has told them to leave it and to leave it quickly. And yet Lot and his family want to stay. They want to linger. And it costs one of them their life. 
this morning we need to remember, as we're reading Genesis 19, we need to read about Lot and his family, but we also need to think not just in literal terms, because this, this, these events did happen, but we also need to think about this as a picture of sin and leaving it completely and quickly and our tendency, our fleshly tendency to linger when God tells us to leave. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to go the whole chapter. Raise for the reading of God's Word, if you will, this morning. By the way, I don't take pleasure in us standing for the entire time while we read, but if we're to read and extract the meaning, Moses' meaning when he writes this, God's meaning who wrote this, there are some times where we just can't chop things up because it's convenient for Sunday morning. We have to read it as God intends it, and I believe that we should read Genesis 19 if we're to believe it and to understand it as God has written it for us. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and yet he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place? For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved." He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. 
The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abram went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked up, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him so that they may preserve, so that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when, he should, when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let's pray. <clears throat> father, thank you for revealing these things to us. They're shocking. They're horrible. But Father, we know that they are for our good to remember them and to learn from them. This morning as we, we read your word, Father, show us this morning why sin is so evil and show us the good that comes from fleeing it. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name, amen. What a passage. Can't leave anything out, can you? <clears throat> Some of you wish that I had. But God wrote the book. Some of us skip over that part. We believe at this church that God wrote a book and it's called the Bible and that every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's profitable for our souls. And as is Genesis 19. If I had to, to break down Genesis 19, and I, and I don't want to do, do injustice to the text because there's a lot here, but if I were to boil down my message this morning, this is what I want to say. Lingering in sin can kill you. When the Lord commands us to flee from sin, He calls us to leave it completely, not partially. And when we follow after the Lord, we don't turn back to our old ways, nor do we dwell on our former life of sin. We look ahead to Jesus, our Savior, who forgives us of our past and gives us a living hope. I know when my, my wife wants to leave a party. And I'm kind of giving you, just in case we're at your party... Um, giving you a little bit of an insider's tip here. My wife will give me a three-part process. She'll have grace, but I know when it's time to go. Number one, she'll go, she'll go, hey, about ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. All right. What I was saying was, and she'll be fine. The next is not a question. It's a statement. Hey, about ready. 
yeah, I'm good. We're, we're going to really little thing was blah, blah, blah. And she's just standing there, and if she doesn't find anything to do, it's, she's coming with the third. It's not a question. It's not a statement. It's a command. And it goes something like this. We're leaving now. <laughs> and uh, I'll go, okay. But if, if I don't go then, and this has happened before. This is no lie. She will drag me out. And she'll go, we're gone. See y'all. Then she's really mad because she just left a party where she's the bad guy. See, if I left on my terms, she didn't look like, you know, but she needed to go. That's a lot like what Lot's family is doing here. And these angels are doing a lot like what my wife does when I want to stay at a party. Not only do they save Lot's family from the depraved, angry mob, they're literally driving his family out of a city that's getting ready to have rain of fire and sulfur on it, and they can't bring themselves to leave it. Let's read verses 15 and 16 really quick. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, don't miss it, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. He seized him and his family, and he just and he doesn't miss it there. That's God showing them mercy. So the angels say, get out of here. They linger around, and then the angels take them and say, you're leaving now. Sometimes the most kind, generous thing that God can do for us is to rip us away from our sin, to seize you and to save you from something you love, from a bad influence from a bad friend, from an addiction, from something your flesh can't seem to part with. God seizing us from things isn't God being mean. Sometimes it's the most loving thing God can do. Every parent and grandparent in here knows that's true. How many? Raise your hand if you've ever seized your child from doing something that was going to destroy them and then they didn't like it and cried and you said, you'll thank me later. Raise your hand. All right. Roman, why is it always Roman? I don't know why. I was, I, Roman was banging his head against the wall. I don't know why. Roman, and we have a rule. I say, Roman, be a good boy. What's, in, the, in the Todd house, I've defined what a good boy means because I didn't think he understood what a good boy was. So I said, what's a good boy? We don't harm others and we don't harm ourselves. That's it. Good boy. I walk away, and I hear another sound, but this one I've never heard. I look back. He's jamming a little plastic fork into the electric socket. He goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'd be a good boy. You know. So what did I do? I seized him away from the electric socket. He didn't like it because he really liked that electric socket. Not sure why, but it didn't matter. I yanked him away from it for his good. God does the same thing with adults in their sin. Here's something to think about. God's grace isn't always giving us what we want. God's grace is giving us what's best for our souls. Why? Because sinners don't always know what's best for sinners. God knows what's best for sinners. God knows sinners better than sinners do. Here's another reason why. Sinners have a tendency to linger. We like to linger in our sin. Now, there's not, that's not to say that 
There's a lot, and actually people in here, we all have our own Damascus Road stories where God saved us. We turned around, we, 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 we left our life behind, and we started new. We were a new creation. But that doesn't mean that our sanctification is not always kind of rocky. And that's why the church is here. I know many Christians, many born-again Christians who attend church, being sanctified, they still like to talk over people. They just do it. They know it's wrong. They don't, they've been told a thousand times not to do it, but they linger in their sin. They are quick to speak and slow to listen. And so other Christians I have seen, actually this, in this instance, they physically seize them. They go, come on, hey, Ellen, zip it. That's what the church is for. I know many Christians who still love to gossip. They know they shouldn't do it. They've been told it's wrong. Linger. They like to do it. Sometimes it's not gossip. Sometimes they'll do it in the name of prayer. Hey, I need to know what's, what's the scoop on her because I, I really wanted to pray for her. What is that? <laughs> they'll linger in their sin. And that's why the church is here. Get up. Don't, 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 don't name your business. Just pray for her. Sinners love to linger, and God loves us to rip us away from our destructive habits. John Owen often called the English Calvin, said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Put that one in your phone. Don't linger. Crucify the flesh with the Spirit of God. Well, how do we crucify the flesh with the Spirit of God? Well, let's look at verse 17. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And of course, we know at that point, he said, well, I want to go to Zor. And the angel is just kind of going, fine, go to Zor. When God asks us to flee, he doesn't ever ask us just to flee. He asks us to flee to something. God doesn't just command us to stop sinning. God calls us to a life of righteousness, to holiness, to purity, to love, to goodness. In other words, here's a way to think of it like this. A sin-conquering life is a cross-focused life. We conquer sin by continually returning to the gospel which saves us and the God who redeems us. In the gospel today, God is doing the very same thing to me that God did with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Abi, don't look back. Don't dwell on who you were. Don't dwell on what you've done. I know it was bad. I know it was awful. Eyes on me. Follow me. Head to the hills, to the place I've prepared for you. The Christian is always going forward. The Christian is always growing. The Christian is always being sanctified. What have we talked about in here? Sanctification is very rarely like this. Sanctification is like this. Sorry, was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some people are like, I got that. Just kind of creepy. Let's move on. Um. It's messy. How about that? When God, I'll ask Kelly. She'll listen to that. Maybe she'll give me some feedback on that. When God gives us his spirit, he gives us freedom from sin and power over sin. You know, we talk a lot about good news in here. I preach it every Sunday. Hopefully you're, you're calling it to mind and cherishing it every day of your life. What is the good news? The gospel. But here's something to think about. 
Justification, being declared righteous by Christ's blood, is good news. And sanctification, growing in holiness by the Spirit, is also good news. Sanctification is good news. It's good news that you're no longer subject to sexual immorality, worldliness, envy, greed, boastfulness. Those things, those desires are still creeping out, but they no longer have dominion over you in Christ. That's good news. Friends, I've been a slave to sin. I have felt it coming back. I felt, I mean, when Paul's words in Romans 7, doing what I know ought not to be done, but I do it anyway. Man, I've, I, I mean, when I read that, oh boy, that's me. Paul knows me. I know Paul. But here's what he, t- here's what he tells the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We have, for, we have got to forget what lies behind. Every Christian should let go of their past deeds and cling to Jesus for salvation. And every mature Christian needs to let go of their former good deeds and keep singing Jesus for their sanctification. In the, in the Christian life, we have never arrived until Jesus arrives. We keep pressing forward. We keep growing. We keep knowing God and studying His Word. I was talking to Robert Washington on Monday night, who, by the way, gave his testimony. It was a, it was a blessing to me and a blessing to many others. And I was, con- I, don't, I don't know if the word's congratulating him. He did such a great job. And Robert wanted to talk to me for five minutes about how he wanted to grow in his marriage. Robert wants to grow in his marriage. Robert is, pardon me, Robert, 79. Dude, 79, wants to grow in his marriage. We have never arrived, folks. We're still pressing forward. It is never good enough. What Robert's telling me at 33 is, 31, sorry, what am I, 33. <laughs> Remember my age first. Um, hey, you haven't arrived? If, you, if I haven't arrived, you definitely haven't arrived. It doesn't matter if you're 79 or if you're 21. You have not arrived. There's room to grow. You haven't figured it out yet. Not all of it. In America, if you were to ask people how their marriage is, I think you pretty much, if you boiled it down, you get two answers. They'd either go, well, we're doing pretty well. Better than most. Or you'd get, yeah, we're doing well. We could do a lot better, though. Those are not the same answer. Confessing that you still can grow. Confessing that your marriage still needs work. Confessing that you still need to strengthen your walk with Jesus. That isn't weakness and it isn't sin. It's called Christianity. See, we all, everyone in here can admit that they're not perfect. See, that's easy. That's almost a license sometimes. Hey, no one's perfect. Amen, brother. That one's easy. That's not confessing your sin. What's hard is confessing where you're not perfect. And we do that to Jesus. We bring that before the people that God has put around us in the church. Are we straining ahead or are we camping out in our sin happy where we are? You know, I was thinking about it. The life of Lot is kind of like the Christian life. Here it is. He's a picture of the Christian. Surrounded by evil people, a sojourner in a world that doesn't accept him, wants to kill him, 
doing the Lord's will. He lingers in his sin. God seizes him from his sin and shows him salvation. He has unbelieving family members, but he's keeping his eyes on the hills and on the Lord. That's the Christian life. Small story. The last church that I served in was called Zor Baptist Church. And in my interview, um, I thought I had the job, and I did. And they, somebody made a comment. They're like, just like Zor in the Bible. And I went, yeah, that's right. They're like, you know where Zor is in the Bible? I went, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, um, they're like, Genesis 19. I went, that's right. It was in Genesis 19. That's what I thought. That's right. So some of y'all might know not know that word. It has special meaning. It's a place of safety. It's a place of refuge. And as we read at the end of Genesis 19 with his daughters, Lot's family is being saved purely by God's grace, is he not? By the way, that's the second time in the book of Genesis that wine has gotten us in trouble. Just comment there. What I, while the incest at the end of the chapter is abominable, I really think the tragedy in this chapter is Lot's wife. Verse 26, here it is. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. I remember reading this passage for the first time when I was a kid and going, well, that was harsh. <laughs> hey, honey, real quick. That's kind of how I pictured it. Hold on now. All she did was look back. It's probably just a bird she was you know. That's not how it happens. We shouldn't look at it like that. This isn't poor Lot's wife. This is disobedience. What did we learn last time? Shall the judge of all the earth do what is right? This isn't poor Lot's wife. Here's two things to keep in mind right here. She directly disobeyed a command from God, and she didn't trust the living God to look ahead. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11. Lot's wife is the picture of anyone who has ever tried to follow Christ and keep what they have in the world. And what God is saying is you can't look forward and backward at the same time. You can't serve me and the world at the same time. Therefore, there are many people that I know who are so concerned about living in the world for the sake of reaching the lost, and God is telling them you've got to leave your sin first. You have to be hated by the world first to reach the world second. If you don't stand apart from the world, if you don't flee your sin from the world, you have nothing to offer the world. If you don't look different and behave different, talk different, love differently than the world, you have nothing to give them that they need. A world, a church that looks like the world is just the world. See, we need to be we need to be grace-filled. We need to have good music. We need to have good donuts. I'm going to find out who that donut culprit is. It's Willie. I know it is. <laughs> Willie's like, if I get half a donut, I don't want, you know, the guilt's not as bad. And that's all good. But boy, we don't act the same as the world. Got the same donuts, got good music, got good personalities, we got the same jobs, we got the same community, but we are not the same. And before we can save the world, we have to be plucked from it. Before we can speak to the world, we have to be different from it. 
We cannot be so hell-bent on contextualizing for the sake of candoring or pandering to a lost world that we forget that we are fundamentally different than it. Our grace to the world begins with our holiness from God. And Jesus uses the example of Lot's wife to illustrate the danger of not being willing to leave your old life and to follow him. Let's read Luke chapter 17, verses 28. This is Jesus Christ. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. That was important enough for our Lord that he was willing to remind us, remember Lot's wife. Remember that you can't hold on to the things of your flesh and hold on to me. Remember that you can't keep your past life and have a new one. Remember that the old has died and the new has been raised with Jesus. A Christian is not just a person with a new attitude. Here's the way I said it. The Christian is a new person in Christ daily crucifying their flesh by the Spirit of God. There are many occasions in my life when I'll think back to the stupid things I've done to the reasons that I don't deserve God's grace, oftentimes the reasons I don't deserve my wife, an argument I had, something I did to prove how manly I was, a judgmental attitude I had, a lapse in judgment, a lack of holiness, an immature moment of jealousy, and the devil will go, you're not a good person, Ob. And see, that's not a lie. I'm not! The devil is not lying when he accuses you and tells you that you're not a good person. But it's not the whole truth. You see, the whole truth is that Christ is a good person. He didn't look back. He didn't doubt the Father. He never disobeyed. And what Satan doesn't want you to know and what the angel of the Lord wants Lot to know is you keep moving forward, keep your eyes there, it doesn't matter what's behind Forget it all. Strain forward. Christ is there. The Lord will save you. That's what we remember today. Our lot, our, our, I was going to say our lot in life. Our lot in life is Lot's life. We are pressing forward. We are forgetting how God's judgment is behind us. But it's only behind us because it's upon Christ. Christ bore our iniquities. He was stricken for our sin. And the angel of the Lord every day says, don't look back. Don't just flee sin. Flee to Jesus. This morning, I want to call all of us and remind us, we need to stop thinking so much about ourselves every day. The world ain't about us. The world ain't about you. Get off yourself. There is such a thing, I think, but there's a difference, I think, sometimes between a selfish person and a very self-involved person. 
I've met a lot of people who are not blatantly arrogant and selfish, but they just spend so much time thinking about themselves. And that's not the life that God calls us to. You don't look, before you can look inward and understand who you are, you have to look forward and understand who God is first. And he calls us to do that when he believes in the gospel. And only through the gospel and the righteousness of Christ can we see the true nature of our sin and our true need for Jesus. So let's look to the cross first. Only then can we know who we are and where we're going. Let's pray. Father, when we linger, please seize us. When we dawdle around, we play with the tiger. Yank us away. Father, pull us to a better life. Tell us to look, us, look our eyes to the hills, Father. Point us in the direction of Christ so that we keep moving. We keep looking to what lies ahead and we forget what is behind us. Father, I pray this morning, whatever guilt we carry this morning, whatever pasts we have, whatever burdens we're trucking around with, Father, I pray that you can remind us all, believing or not, this morning, all we have to do is put those upon Jesus. Because at the cross, he said, it is finished. Amen. There is no need to look behind, but to the living hope we have in you. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.